Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Welcome again. Sorry about that. Welcome again. Um, If you are visiting uh, here with us, we are uh, two weeks into a new series called uh, When I Met Jesus. When I Met Jesus. And we're looking at uh, encounters that Jesus had with people uh, that are recorded all throughout Scripture. uh, And we're looking at what happens when Jesus um, meets people and and how he interacts with them and and how uh, their lives change. And and last week, uh, Tran preached for us Uh, looking at what happens when Nicodemus, uh, who is a religious man, what happens when he meets Jesus. Uh, And if you uh, didn't catch that, um, he's going to be preaching that at at Glenelg location uh, later in this series, but also it's a podcast. It's going to be on the podcast as well, so keep an eye out for that. Um, But this week, we are going to Luke 5. Uh, We're going to be hearing about a lame man, uh, a man who is, uh, it says lame man, so we don't know how paralyzed he is, but he's a man who, who I think he probably can't walk, given the story. Uh, we're going to be hearing about the lame man, his friends, uh, the Pharisees that were, who were there when he was interacting with Jesus, and we're going to be hearing about Jesus. Uh, it's an amazing uh, record of an, of an encounter. Um, will you join me in prayer, and then let's get into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, Jesus was sent, um, that he loves us, that he's different, that he uh, changes things. Uh, We ask that as we open up this uh, account from the Gospel of Luke that uh, you will come and speak to us something about your nature and character uh, that will help uh, us love you more, uh, desire uh, to worship and serve and follow you more and open our eyes to the truth of who you are. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke 5, verses 17 to 26. So that's up on the screen, I think. Uh, Or if you want to have a pew Bible, it's a different version, but it'll be there too. Or if you have a device uh, or an actual Bible, well, uh, feel free to open that up as well. Um, You're more than welcome to to get those out. Um, I'm going to presume that you are are writing notes and and not not on Facebook or whatever, just give you the grace of that. So uh, no judgment, have your devices out, that's cool. Um, Be opening the word, keep me honest. Uh, Let's look at Luke chapter 5. On one of those days, as he, as Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him, that's Jesus, to heal. And behold, some some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But... Finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you. Or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. So I know it's like Sunday afternoon, it's been a little bit warmer, so if you're the kind of person who's probably likely to go asleep, you're just here for the rolls. Uh, This is the point. Salvation is by God's grace alone. Forgiveness of sins is the main need of every person. Salvation is so important that we should do all we can to help bring people to Jesus. And only Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. So in brief, that's where we're going. So the three groups of of people, the folks we want to look at in this story, are the Pharisees, the the man's friends, and the lame man himself. And so we we get this scene... Uh, Jesus is teaching in a house. I think from some of the other Gospels, we think it might be, might be Peter's house. And it says, it's as if Jesus has shown up at your discipleship group and he's taken the Bible study, he's teaching, he's healing. That's going on. I'm going to sign up for that. That sounds pretty rad. And uh, religious folk uh, called Pharisees, they had heard about him and they were there. Someone's talking about theology. The religious folks are going to jump in on that. So the house was crammed full of them. They were filling up all the seats in the house. And it says that it had come from every town in the region. So this story is about Jesus, who he was, his his fame had spread to the point where they had come even from Jerusalem, these religious teachers. Who is this young upstart? What is he teaching? This healing's going on. We hear about this stuff. What's he saying? We're going to come listen. We're going to come hear what he's saying. And they weren't there to come under Jesus' teaching and listen to him and worship him as God. They were jealous of him and they were trying to catch Jesus out and they were seeing who this young upstart was. People had started to follow him and and not them. But before we get too dark or down on these religious people, uh, we probably need to stop and examine ourselves because they actually started out with some pretty good intention. They started with the intention to obey God's law. And in fact, I think most of us, I'm not going to say everyone, but most of us would probably say, it wasn't a bad thing in and of itself to have the intention to obey, the intention to obey God's law. Like, okay, that's cool. Ten Commandments seem pretty sensible. You know, let's not steal and kill, and let's let's do that. That seems like not a bad thing. But they were trying to earn God's love or His acceptance, their holiness, by keeping the rules. When Jesus teaches and preaches that salvation is not by what you merit, how good you are, but it's by grace alone. So for example, uh, the good commandment of the Old Testament was to keep the Sabbath holy. So you know, have six days for work, have another one for rest. I mean, we're pretty lucky, like we get two for rest here, so we're doing all right. Um, but the attitude or the nature of the Pharisees was like, well, let's, let's do that. Let's have this day of rest. But, but you know what? We want to make sure that we don't accidentally do some work on that day. So let's make some rules to stop us to get, getting to the line. If we set the line back here, we know that we'll never get to this line. 
So, like, well, let's have rules about, like, how many steps can I take on the Sabbath before I'm no longer keeping the Sabbath day holy? Or what constitutes work? Like, can I bake some bread if I'm hungry, or is that not okay? Can I pick some wheat and eat it if I'm hungry, or is that not okay? So they, they developed these rules upon rules upon rules to, to keep God's rules, and they added to God's rules, and they missed the point. I mean, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Pretty wise man said that. But the point is this. The problem wasn't necessarily that they were trying to keep the rules. The point was that they were trying to earn their way to God. But they can't do that. We can't do that. Uh, Ephesians 2, verses nine to 8 to 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. We actually... Um, like, it's easy to kind of look at the Pharisees and point out the Pharisees and say, these are all the things that you're doing, uh, and didn't you get it? Like, Jesus was a cool dude, and you're just being religious neatniks, and it's easy to point it out in them. It's a lot harder for us to see in ourselves sometimes. But it's here. It's within each of us. Maybe in different ways. For those of us with more religious backgrounds... I'm going to argue with myself in a minute, but more religious backgrounds. It, it might be like this. If you want to be acceptable to God or in his community, you've got to dress like this. You've got to listen to this music. You've got to know church lingo. Don't watch that. Don't cut your hair like that. Don't get a tattoo, or perhaps do get a tattoo, but only of the right stuff. And it's perhaps easy to point out religiosity in others, but harder to point it out in us. So perhaps even in this church, it might be like, oh, no, in this church, we don't sing those wussy Chris Tomlin songs or that Naf Hillsong stuff. Or perhaps some of us have a, like a secular religiosity because all of us have religion in our hearts, I, I believe. You know, perhaps it's this, the shop at this organic place and use this bag for your shopping, drive this particular car, watch this TV show, and you will be accepted in society and you'll be able to keep up with the conversation and talk and you'll be considered like normal. You keep the religious rules of the society. Uh, theologian and pastor Tim Keller, who you may or may not know, uh, wrote a book really good called The Prodigal God. Uh, and, he, and he writes this in that book. He says, uh, religion operates on the principle of I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. But the basic operating principle of the gospel, still quote, is, I'm accepted by God through the work of Jesus Christ, therefore I obey. As we have seen, believing the gospel is how a person first makes a connection to God. It gives us a new relationship with God and a new identity. We must not think, however, that once believing it, the Christian is now finished with the gospel message. He writes, a fundamental insight of Martin Luther's was that religion is the default mode of the human heart. Your computer operates automatically in a default mode unless you deliberately tell it to do something else. So Luther says that even after you are converted by the gospel, your heart will go back to operating on the principles of religion unless you deliberately, repeatedly set it to gospel mode. 
It's a little bit like, I think, in, in Word, how uh, it always turns to US English. You've got to keep setting it back to Australian English, or you get these weird spellings. It's the same thing. You've got to deliberately set it to gospel mode, because naturally we fall back to religion mode. So Jesus is teaching, and the reason people were attracted to him was the, was the miracles, but also his teaching was different to that of the religious people, the Pharisees, because he's not merely telling people how to behave, he's telling them how to be saved through grace, not works. It's by grace through faith, not by works. So this time that this lame man met Jesus, if we look at the Pharisees, it's teaching us that true salvation isn't from what we do. It's found in Christ. And this story also teaches us, as we look at the example of the layman's friends, that salvation is so important that we should do all we can to help bring people to Jesus. So you can kind of imagine how this scene might have played out. These four blokes who've heard about Jesus come with their paralyzed friend. They've, they've, picked, they've got him on his bed. I don't know if it's like four corners of a blanket or how it's working, but they've got him, they're carrying him. Uh, they can't get through the door. There's too many religious folk. Isn't it kind of funny how the religious folk stop people coming to Jesus? But that's what religion does. Separates based on who's in and who's out, based on works and appearances. But who's in and out in the kingdom of God is, is based on faith in Jesus and not in our performance. But these blokes, they, they hear that Jesus is in town. They hear that he can heal. They see that he's teaching in the crowded house and they want to get their friend to him. They can't get through the crowd, so what do they do? They go up on the roof, make a hole in the roof, lower him down, and these, probably these four friends, uh, we find out there's four from, from uh, Mark chapter 2, uh, they were probably actually motivated more by their friend's physical needs um, by, by then his spiritual need, but their actions in getting uh, around the crowd and letting the guy down through the roof, it's a great illustration that we should do all we can to help bring people to Jesus. I think their example, there's several things we can draw out of it. In our desire to, to see people come to Jesus, we believe that, that Jesus chooses people, Jesus draws people, but that he, in his sovereign wisdom, has actually chosen the primary method of that to be through us. He lets us go to work with him. He lets us partner with him, which is a, a great and glorious privilege. Um, so we have a, a responsibility to, to help people come to Jesus, not because we can somehow magically make them believe, but because God has chosen to work through us, and it's our privilege. They could have given up. But they got there, saw the crowd spilling out, and they thought, you know what? Hey, why not the roof? Why not? They got a little bit creative. So the, the homes in that day, many of them had like a stairs on the outside leading up to the roof, uh, and a bit of a flat roof, and, and scholars debate about this passage. They debate whether or not this was like major damage or just kind of removing a few tiles and could easily put them back, and it's kind of not the point. The point is, where there's a will, there's a way. You know, the door was closed, full of religious people, and so they found a roof. 
if you can't reach somebody one way, don't say to yourself, oh, well, they're probably not elect. Eh, try another. They had a sense of urgency about bringing their friend to Jesus. I mean, they could have waited until the crowds had dispersed, until everyone had gone away. There's always tomorrow they could have told their friend. It's not the Lord's timing. But these blokes, they knew their friend needed help, and so they didn't let their obstacles stop them. If we want to help people meet Jesus, there will be sacrifice. It will cost you something. You may have to sacrifice your perfect house and its roof. Your kids' toys, if you have them, may get broken by other kids. And you may have to teach your kids about the grace of the gospel in that. Your coffee may get drunk. Your cake eaten. Your cereal shared. Uh, Your sleep disturbed at 3 a.m. with a phone call of a broken life. Bringing people to Jesus... Working with God is costly, sacrificial. They had persistence. They brought their friend persistently. They didn't give up. And also, importantly, for for us who who don't want to be islands, who want to do uh, life and discipleship in community, they didn't do it alone. They worked as a team. It, It took... Uh, four men to carry this other bloke and, and get him to Jesus and lower him down. And that's kind of often the case when we are trying to bring people to Jesus. God works supernaturally and he can do whatever he wants and he can speak by the Holy Spirit whenever he wants. But often it's a team game. Sometimes there's those amazing road, of, road to Damascus stories where God comes and kicks us off our horse like he did to Paul and like all of a sudden you're a Christian, but I think most of the time it's people coming into community and learning the gospel the slow, hard way. It's a team effort. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. You're like, oh man, I really want to have my other discipleship group people help me talk to this person about the gospel, but what if they get saved and that other dude gets the credit? Like, what? <laughs> it's a team game. And I just want to ask ourselves, and this is not even really the main point of the text, but I just want to use this as an opportunity to ask ourselves at the start of this When I Met Jesus series, do we have this kind of desperation and commitment and desire to see people meet Jesus that these four friends had? Like, to to your neighbours or your friends or the person who works in the next cubicle as you, uh, is it like, here's a Bible, I bought it for you, and you know what? It's a nice one. And it's not one I just stole out of the pew here. Um, let me read it with you. And, and you know what? Come around to your house. Come around to my house. You know, bring your boyfriend. Bring your whole family. Uh, eat my food. Eat off my barbecue. Drink my beer. Want to come to church on Sunday? I'll pick you up, and I'll bring coffee, and I'll drive you, and and come to my DG and be in my community. Share my friends. Meet Jesus through my community. I mean, we know it's that God who saves, but he has chosen and given us the privilege to be a part of that. So I want to challenge us, definitely myself included, 
Who are you praying for? Who is your discipleship group praying for? And please, 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 without being creepy, who, are, who can you invite into your life? Like, please don't hand out life invitation cards. <laughs> but who, who can you invite into your life, into your community? Do you know any non-Christian people whom you would call a friend? So this layman's friends are that committed. They just have to get their friend to Jesus. They're through the roof, can't do the door. He's heavy. This lame man, he's probably been sitting there eating um, whatever it is that they eat. I have no idea what they ate. Probably lamb when they could afford it. Um, Bread most of the time, flatbread. He's been eating a lot of that. He's probably heavy. right? He's just sitting there, doesn't do much exercise. He's probably really heavy. It's tough to carry. But they're like, you know what? He needs to meet Jesus. And perhaps you have some friends that are emotionally heavy to carry, that are stubborn, that are tough, and there's closed doors. Let's pray for them and let's have persistence. And so they do that. They're committed. They get in there. They've pulled the tiles back. They're lowering him down. And this man pops down in front of Jesus. And I think this is a really funny story. This is, I think, one of the funniest gospel stories there is because you can just imagine how this went down. Jesus is preaching. It's probably like something really serious, probably, probably uh, uh, starting to give the, um, like the foretaste of revelations or something, and it's like really intense, and, he, and he's really uh, kind of going at it, and all of a sudden the people in the front row start to feel some dust on their heads. <laughs> and then some chunks of roof fall down. <laughs> and, and eventually like, they're like, what? What? what is that? And they look up and they see the light. And like an angel descending from... And this man is lowered down from the ceiling. And it's almost like he's... You can imagine he's like... This, these four friends lowering him down. He's kind of lying in the blanket. He lands in front of Jesus. He's like, hi, Jesus. It's kind of like awkward. Um, hi, Jesus. Uh, I'm lame. Can you heal me, please? I, I think you can see the hilarity of the situation. Uh, and, then, and then these four people, like... They're probably like, oh, finally, we got him down there. Awesome. And then like... Whoop, whoop, whoop. these four heads kind of pop through the hole and kind of check out what's going on underneath. Um, and what does Jesus say to the man? This man has come, he's been lowered down in front of Jesus. What do they say? What does Jesus say to him? Your sins are forgiven. But, but I'm lame. <laughs> he says, your sins are forgiven. As we seek to engage in, in mission and to, to reach out and love our city, this is a huge reminder for us about the need to see the importance of spiritual realities as we also address physical need. Because Jesus knows, as he's highlighting to us, that forgiveness of sins is the main need of every person. Other needs are important, but that is primary. So the friends, they likely wanted him healed, not forgiven. But Jesus forgives him because he knows what it is he really needs the most. So I want to I highlight for us 
And I'm not saying that this is a particular strength of ours, so I don't want to tear this one down, but I want to build up the gospel even more. So I want to highlight for us that it is important to do like mercy ministry, like providing for needs. And so and to um, do that, you know, if there's people who are cold, we ought to give them a jacket and blanket and a place to sleep. If there's people who are hungry, we ought to give them food. But to love people, we've got to tell them about Jesus. Because there is no point sending people to hell with warm blankets and full, bo- full bellies and great relationships. People need forgiveness. In fact, there kind of actually is a point sending people to hell with warm bellies and like full bellies and, and warm blankets and great relationships. The point is to make you feel good about yourself. Because doing those things without sharing the gospel, it can actually make you feel good and warm and fuzzy and I've done something nice. Because you will get a lot of kudos for that. Like, the rest of the world outside of the church understands why you will do that. They will applaud that. And you know what? It should be applauded. It's something we should be doing. But what won't be applauded, what you won't get kudos for, is telling people that they need forgiveness and they need Jesus. So, in fact, there is nothing wrong with looking after people. We should be looking after people. In fact, um, in response to the way that God looks after us, we should look after people. James, uh, the book of James 1, uh, verse 27, says that pure and undefiled religion is to look after widows and orphans in their distress. But Jesus knows that he has, this man has a physical need, but his spiritual need is more important. It's not that we don't care about the body, but we know that this life is a blink compared to all eternity. So Jesus gives the man what he really needs and says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious folks, they don't like that at all. Who, who is Jesus to forgive sins? Like, who does he think he is? In fact, they know who he thinks he is. He, they, they know that he's saying he's God. And, you know, it, it ticks them off. It, it, who is Jesus to forgive? It says this uh, from verse 20. And when, they, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And when the scribes, that's like the educated religious folks, and the Pharisees, uh, the like, really zealous, devoted, but less well-educated religious folks, uh, began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus perceived their thoughts. And man, that, like, that's kind of scary. Anyway, uh, he perceived their thoughts and he answered them. Can you imagine, like, they are thinking these things, whispering to themselves, like, not in Jesus' actual hearing, just he knows their hearts, and then he, he's, like, answering the thoughts of their heart. So imagine, like, if you're just talking with a dude and you're thinking something in your head and then they answer you. It's kind of, anyway. Um, he perceived their thoughts. He answered them. He answers their thoughts. Why do you question in your hearts? So only Jesus has the authority to forgive sins because he is God, and they know that for him to forgive sins, he has to be God. In fact, Jesus calls himself, in this scripture, in this passage he says here, he calls himself the Son of Man. 
And that's a title taken from Daniel 7 in the Old Testament. And it's one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself. He, he uses that all the time. The Son of Man, Son of Man, Son of Man. And he's saying he is God. If you look at the context of Daniel 7, what it's talking about, the Son of Man, Son of Man is going to come, he's going to be God, he's going to be man. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm God. And they call him a blasphemer because he is saying he is God and they know that's what he's saying. And so he, he responds, he says, why do you question in your hearts? And he goes on to say, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. Yeah. And they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Like understatement of the year. Circa something AD. Jesus heals the man so that they would know that he truly was God. Jesus heals the man so they would know he has authority to forgive sins. How can they deny his divinity? So I want to encourage you that if you've come here today, if you are broken and you're sinful, Jesus says to you, as you come before him, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Not based on what you've done, not based on what you're going to do, what, based on what you're doing right now, but based on his grace, his love, his forgiveness. And if you've come here today and you are religious and sinful, Jesus says to you, your sins are forgiven and your religious efforts won't save you. And if you've met Jesus, I think the challenge for us today is to re-examine our hunger for those around us to come to Jesus as well. When the lame man met Jesus, the, the sickness of religion was exposed and the power of God was shown and the divinity of Christ was glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so good and generous to us. That you don't stand before us, a cruel taskmaster, telling us to perform. That you don't stand in front of us saying, do better, try harder, be more. But that through Jesus, you stand in front of us, arms open, saying, it is finished. You are forgiven. It is done. We thank you that in love you called us to yourself. I want to pray that you would um, challenge those of us 
who have religion in our hearts, which is all of us sometimes, um, that you would help us not to put barriers in front of people to coming to Jesus. I want to pray for uh, those of us who um, perhaps don't have a strong desire to see other folks come to you, that um, you would remind us of our desperate need for your salvation and that the gratefulness for that salvation you have given would fill us with joy and thankfulness that would overflow to a desperation to see others know the same. And I pray in all things you will be glorified as God. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.